0: The Beatles. Oh, yeah, tell you something. I think you understand. When I say that something, I want to. a beautiful morning. Good night. I got out this morning, and it's just awesome. The street fair is happening today, and uh, there is nothing greater than New Jersey weather. I, I love it. I know it's crazy, but I really, I, I've endured probably the worst winter that I've ever experienced, but if that's as bad as it gets, I'm great. I'm looking forward to many years to come here, and we love it. I love that Beatles, uh, that video. Do you guys, any old enough like me to remember that? Uh, that Ed Sullivan show appearance is pretty amazing, and um, which is why I was so uh, amazed at our band when they did the Beatles uh, performance last month. I mean, I've heard some great Beatles cover, cover bands, but these guys killed it. It was awesome. But I love that, uh, that Beatles video. And you're probably asking yourself, well, what on earth does a Beatles video I have to do uh, with our message today? Well, I want to kind of share with you my story. And uh, like I said, I've been here about 18 months, and so I'm trying to get to know all you better and I want you to know me. And uh, I've got what I think is kind of an interesting story. Um, I grew up in Texas in a small farming and ranching community. But when I was uh, about five years old, back in 1964, when this video happened, um, in case you're wondering, five, if you add in your head right now, that means I'm 55 years old, so you're kind of wondering. But, you know, like many of you and thousands of other people, we were just mesmerized by this uh, band of Brits. And this music grasped my heart in ways I did not expect. I know you may laugh at that, that how at five years old could you really uh, be taken back by something so powerful like this and say that it's so powerful? In fact, when I did my life plan, we've talked about a lot, uh, that was my first turning point in my life was when I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. I'm like, life was different for me then because I experienced this incredible music, and I felt so much inside. It made me want to sing. It made me want to dance. It made me, you know, it was just incredible. And my mom and dad saw this love for music that, uh, you know, was birthed very early in my life. And so they went and bought me my very first record album, which was A Hard Day's Night. One of my favorites. It's probably my favorite record. And I sat in front of this. We had this old Curtis Mathis television set with uh, the lid that lifted up and had the album, you know, the record player inside of it. And at five years old, I would sit and I would play that album over and over and over again. And then they took me to see the Hard Day's Night movie. Which was crazy. You saw the ladies screaming, I know the girls screaming, and I, I'm sitting there as this five-year-old boy, wide-eyed, going, "Wow, these girls are chasing these guys down the street. This is incredible." And what happened was a boyhood dream was birthed in my heart at that point. I want to be like the Beatles. I want to play music. That's what I want to do with my life. I want to be like Paul and John and George and Ringo. And it kind of birthed this thing in my life. This this boyhood dream that was powerful. We can move forward. A few years, and uh, to a very, very special Christmas in that little West Texas town that I grew up in. And under our Christmas tree uh, next to my stocking, which was in those days, they filled it with walnuts and pecans and you know oranges and apples and all kinds of healthy things, and not cool electronic gadgets like most of our kids get today, but sitting underneath our tree that morning was this box, and in this box was a Dallas Cowboy football uniform. It was the first of many I got. Now, this one's really special because as I pulled it out of that box, I found out it was the number 22, bullet Bob Hayes. Bob Hayes was a uh, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and he ran the 100-yard dash in 9.1 seconds. During that time uh, of history, Bob was known as the fastest man on earth. So I ripped that box open. I put that uniform on, that amazing helmet with the big blue stars on the side, and I ran out. You know, you need to know, I would get up about 4.30 or 5. My poor parents went on Christmas morning because I was so excited. So it's early, early morning. It's still dark, but I'm running outside to play, throwing my football around, and I had this football uniform on. And I went out into my backyard pretending there were thousands of spectators, and in that moment, in my mind, in my heart, I was Bob Hayes. I was a Dallas Cowboy finally. And again, this thing that began to happen in my heart was just incredible. The response, because, you know, in Texas... Football um, is quite a big deal. Football was big in my family. In fact, my dad uh, played quarterback for Bear Bryant at Texas A&M back in the, the 50s, and, uh, which is pretty legendary. Rich loves that because Rich thinks Bear Bryant was really a, an Alabama coach. But first and foremost, he's at Texas A&M. So we would watch as a family. Football It's a big deal. My dad was a pastor, and so in Texas, there's kind of a rule for pastors that when you preach, you had better be done by noon or slightly before is actually better so that you can get home to watch a cowboy game. Because if not, uh, it pretty much meant your job. So we would uh, we would gather around that aging Curtis Mathis television uh, to watch the cowboy game. Now, where we lived was about 70 miles from Amarillo, Texas. That was the nearest what we would call city at that time. But we had this antenna up on this huge tower, and so what would happen is Dad would go out and he would have to crank this tower to turn the antenna to get the reception for the game, and we would yell out to him, all right, yeah, it's just right, just right, not enough snow. You know, it's kind of clear as we can get. So we would sit around and watch this game, and we would cheer, and we'd have a great, great time together because football's a big deal in Texas. It became a big deal in my life. Pretty amazing. You know, uh, while that dream of being a Dallas Cowboy was real as a kid, um, I was pretty good at football. But the nearest thing I ever got to that was uh, getting to work with the legendary coach Tom Landry. I, I got to work with him on uh, Fellowship of Christian Athlete events that I sang at when I was a recording artist. And uh, incredible man, incredible man of God, and I think the greatest and only great coach the Cowboys have ever had. I wish they could do something about it now, and maybe a new owner would help. I think possibly. But uh, what are your stories? What, when you go back to your childhood, what are those things that were birthed in your heart? Those kind of dreams the heroes that you had. You know, some of you, maybe like me, it was an athlete. For some of you, it was that um, Hollywood star or that Broadway star, that singer. For some of you, maybe it was like, I want to be a powerful businessman. I want to accomplish great things. Maybe it was a dream of being an astronaut or a fireman or a police officer. For some, it was just, you know, I want to raise a family. I want to have kids. I want the American dream. We all have those dreams that are birthed in our heart, these ambitions that, that we have, they trigger these incredible, powerful responses. I talk about how I felt when I'd hear the Beatles play music or I'd listen to music or be around the Dallas Cowboys and watch them play and how important football became. And I guess what, what I would like to kind of ask us the question this morning is that response that we feel, those things that we feel about those dreams, those heroes, those idols in our life, could it be that perhaps those responses were divinely created within us? that maybe God uniquely designed us in such a way to have responses that kind of involve our total being, our mind, our body, our soul, and all that we do. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit this morning. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is my wife Laura and our relationship. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, we recently celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary, which is kind of cool. And uh, 34 years, it's like how amazing and uh, how quickly time goes by. When Laura and I first met, we were going to college together in Texas, and uh, she actually has the love notes that I wrote her. She's kept them, and if you follow me on Facebook or her, you probably saw that she posted them on her anniversary. So how lovely it was for me to, to read what a Casanova I was back in those days. But I'll tell you, one of the coolest things is how I, how I kind of finally worked up the nerve, if you want to call it this, to, to ask her out. She had actually gone out with my roommate in college first, and I uh, had seen her around campus, and I think she kind of knew who I was, and I knew who she was, and I was wanting to get that opportunity. And so one day, I saw her driving across campus, in her little silver Toyota Celica GT at the time was brand new. It was really cool. had a moonroof, all that cool stuff. And so as she's approaching, I just jump out in front of her car, freak her out. She slams her brakes on. It's like, this guy's an idiot. I hop in the car with her, and I look at her, and I'm like, why don't you give me a ride back to my dorm? And then I sent her a little note that I actually think I put on her windshield of her car, and I'm like, I really would like to go out with you. And um, so, you know, obviously it worked. (laughs) Uh, She went out with me, and I began to try to get to know her in every way possible, spend as much time as we could together. And we fell in love and ended up, I asked her to marry me, and um, in a romantic place in our car, my car out behind her dorm. Uh, Very romantic spot. You know, in this day and age kids are like sharing everything on Facebook, and they're like videoing their whole proposal and all this, but mine was pretty real and down to earth, you know, and uh, it's been able to work, and I'm thankful for that. I think it's, while I was a little bit crazy, it's been incredible to see that she still captures my heart today after all these years, and she knew she was marrying a crazy guy, but I'm grateful for that. You know, I I want us to take a few moments, we talk about these emotions in our heart, getting to know Laura and kind of relating it to, to, the, to the topic of worship. And as I look at my response, my worship, my, my, what I give my mind, my body, my soul, and all my thoughts and energies toward, I want us to look at this topic of worship. And I would ask this question, and I ask myself this, what is the difference between my response to the Beatles, to music, my response to football, the Dallas Cowboys, and my response to God? I mean, obviously, I've said, when I listen to music, I'll see football games, when I talk about Laura, it, I'm enthused. I, I mean, it's, it's a passion I have. And it, res, you know, creates a response in my heart, a physical response, a mental response. It makes me do things uh, to serve and to love and to give. You know, and if we were being kind of totally honest about it, I look at, like, the artists and I go and see these concerts or these games, some of the players, it's kind of, if we were looking in religious terms, could really kind of be called worship there's even a term called hero worship and you might say that in a way I was actually worshiping that artist or worshiping the music so let's talk about what is worship and you know I know when I say that that it probably emotes a lot of different images in each of your minds some of those good some of those not so good you know, in the New Testament, of the Bible, um, the word that's used for worship means this. It means literally to bow down, to humble oneself, or to give honor to another person. Here's a really powerful definition of worship that I found I wanted to share. Worship is the total alignment of our heart, soul, mind, and strength with the will of God. It's our wholehearted response to God's extravagant love and mercy. Isn't that great? The alignment of our heart, soul, mind, and strength with the will of God. Our wholehearted response to God's extravagant love and mercy. Just a month after that very special Christmas, um, this was in January of 1969, at our little Baptist church where my dad pastored, we had what we called Royal Ambassadors. It was kind of a Christian Boy but We learned to tie knots, went on camping trips, a lot of fun things. But that, that month, we had a guest speaker come in, and he was a missionary who'd been all around the world, and he'd been, you know uh, sharing the love of God and the love of Christ, the saving uh, message of God's salvation through his Son Jesus. And he began to share his story. He showed those slides, and uh, it, it was quite amazing. And how I was able to see that, and something triggered within my heart, like, okay, he's talking about Jesus that God sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for my sin because I was separated from God because of my sin. And that that gift, that free gift of salvation that came through that sacrifice of Jesus allowed me to receive him into my life and allowed me to be made right with God. And that was a completely uh, mind-blowing experience for me. I mean, I was a pastor's kid. I'd been in the church since the day I was born almost. I'd been there every weekend. I knew a lot as much as I could at nine years old about Jesus and heard all these things. But I realized that merely knowing him and merely attending service and kind of going through all the motions, that I did not have that relationship. I had not yet received it. Even though I believed in him, I had not yet received him as my Lord and Savior. It was an important, important thing for me. I realized that God was pursuing me and that he desired that personal relationship with me. And this is a verse that that missionary shared that I want to share with you out of Revelation 3. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So that night, as that guy spoke to me, I, could, I sensed that in my life. I, I cognitively made that decision. I realized I, I have never received. And so I opened that door of my heart. I invited Christ to come in. It's a powerful, powerful moment for me. I made him the leader and forgiver of my life, and Jesus began to capture my heart. And I began this long journey toward trying to intimately know him better and to allow my heart, my mind, my body, my soul to respond to him in worship, thanking him for the gift of salvation. One of the big realities that happened is uh, the Beatles, music, the Dallas Cowboys football, none of those things were pursuing me rather, I was pursuing them. And they certainly did not love me. And most importantly, those things didn't give their life for me. They couldn't give their life for me. Only Jesus did that. Only Jesus could do that. One of the early scriptures that I learned that probably most of you know, and you've heard many times, is John 3, 16 and 17. I love this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. One of the things I love to do is to insert my name for that word world. So I would say it this way, for God so loved Michael that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved Laura that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved E.T. and Kathy and all of us here. He, he's so loved. It's that personal that he gave his one and only son for for us. What an an incredible gift. Eternal life, a personal relationship with the God of the universe. It's awesome. The great author A.W. Tozer, I love his writing. If you've never read it, I encourage you to do so. It's so relevant today. I was reading one of his books, one of his first books, and turned and looked. I'm like, this felt like it was read for today, and I looked at it, and it was written in the 50s. So relevant. Here's a great statement he has. We are we are brought to God and to faith and to salvation that we might be individually and personally vibrant children of God, loving God with all our hearts and worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. Let me read that again. We are brought to God into faith and to salvation that we might be individually and personally vibrant children of God, loving God with all our hearts and worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. Jesus also made this statement. I know you've heard this a lot. This is one of Rich's favorite verses, and it's one of mine comes out of Matthew 22. Jesus is saying these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Heart, soul, mind. This is a choice that we have. It's a holistic act of worship, aligning our hearts, our minds, and our soul. It's an incredible act of worship. We come in here every weekend and we sing songs of worship. There are people that are serving in our cafe, people that are helping clean our building, some of our vocalists, you know, Kathy has been here so many years singing and helping us uh, experience God in worship together. She does that as her act of worship, not only as she's leading worship, but as she's serving Renaissance. It's pretty incredible. That is an act of worship, is serving. When you invite your friends to, be, to come and be a part of even a night like the Beatles, that's really an act of worship because you care so much about your friend that you want them to hear this good news. It's an incredible thing, worship, and how it is aligned that way. And when we live in a world of things and people who are competing with our love and our desire and our attention, before we know it, we can get a little bit off-culture and misaligned. And our object of our worship can be become things that it shouldn't be. And we find ourselves in a place where we worship something or someone other than Jesus. I know I've been there before. It might be a person, might be a job, it might be a boat, it might be something, and it takes all of your attention away. And the object of your worship and the object of your passion and what you're giving your time, giving your treasure and your talent to, is something other than being aligned with God. I know, I've been there, I want to share this story a little bit, that um, 1984 was uh, really successful for me, for me in my uh, singing and recording career. I was a Christian artist. I had songs in the top five of the charts. Every day I was singing about the love of God, and I was traveling in concerts and telling people that around the world, television appearances, tours, interviews, all that kind of thing. Lots of really exciting stuff happening. But I can remember a very specific weekend setting in a service just like this that I was there with Laura, and we were standing just like we just did, singing songs of worship. And I was singing as beautifully as I could using my talents, and I was singing these words, but what was going on within my mind and my heart was something very different. I was thinking about, wow, that drummer's pretty cool. I wonder why they don't have cool lights. Hmm, guitar player's kind of out of tune, and I don't really like his sound. And I wonder what time we're going to get out of here, because, man, I really don't want to miss getting a seat at the restaurant. You know, the game's going to come on. All those kinds of things were going on in my mind while I was supposed to be standing there and worshiping. You know, the truth is, what I had done is I'd allowed music, the things surrounding music, other things going on in my life to kind of gain control of my attention and capture my heart, mind, body, and soul toward other things rather than to Jesus. And what happened was, Jesus kind of was no longer my heart's desire. I was just going through the motions, I was mouthing words, saying things, actually living a lifestyle trying to speak to people and sing to people and help people come into a relationship with Jesus. But kind of what was going on in my heart was all the other stuff surrounding it. I'm really not proud of that. And I, I don't know how it so quickly can happen that our hearts become disengaged from responding to God in worship. Matthew 158 and 9 um, are powerful words, powerful word words that Jesus spoke that I really believe, accurately kind of describe the condition of my heart at that time. It's an amazing, amazing verse. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. I really think that was me. I'm honoring God with my lips and the things that I'm saying, but my heart was far from him. God needed to do a realignment on me. He needed to do a realignment on me. And Sometimes he uses the difficulties and the pain and the struggles of life to kind of allow those lessons to be taught to us and to allow us to be drawn back to him and to his heart. That same year that I was talking about, 1984, and when we had that experience, I had that experience in church, Laura and I were expecting our second child. You understand, this was kind of a miraculous thing because our oldest daughter, who is, she's 31, and we have an amazing little granddaughter that's three, um, she was a miracle as well. Laura had a pituitary adenoma, and the doctors had told us, you know, she'll probably never be able to have children because of this pituitary adenoma. But we do have an exper- experimental drug that we're working and developing, and so she went on this experimental drug protocol with University of Texas Medical Center and was on this medication for a year. We saw no nothing happened, no effect. She went off the drug, but three months later, I will never forget it. I was playing a concert actually in Pennsylvania and didn't have cell phones in those days, so it would be the truck stop, you know, uh, calling on my AT&T card, and she goes, you're never going to believe this, I'm pregnant. Uh, freaked me out. I couldn't believe it. It was a miracle. It was awesome. We had prayed so hard for God to give us a child. So Brittany was born. She's a miracle, born in 82. So we were expecting in 1984 a second child again. Wow, this is awesome. God is hearing our cry and our prayer. But there were complications, and in the late term of that pregnancy, Laura lost the child and had a miscarriage. Horribly devastating moment for us. Painful trying to understand, God, why would you let this happen? How could you create such a miracle and allow this to happen to us? Painful for her, painful for me as well. We were devastated. It happened also at the same time, 84 was when the kind of financial crash hit Texas and the oil, cr- the oil crash happened. A lot of financial crises were happening. People moving out of their homes in the middle of the night. There was a lot of that surrounding that. And we walked through a season of pain and loss and brokenness during that time that we had never experienced. And God seemed a million miles away from me. I felt like he had dumped us off in a, somewhere in a desert. And I was trying to figure out where God was. I know that all of us in this room have probably gone through something in our lives that have been very painful, a loss of a, a relationship, child, a marriage, a business collapse or failure. We've had those moments where we've lost a loved one. Um, those are those are really defining. And, you know, wh- who do we turn to? Who can we turn to? We can turn to friends and family. But for me, I knew that I had to turn to Jesus because he was the, the one who had died for me. He's the one that I had to believe in. Even though I felt a million miles from him, I knew I had to do that because I I really believed that he had captured my heart as a nine-year-old boy. Psalm 40 uh, verses one through three became kind of my life story scripture verses during this time. And it to this day is kind of a testimony of God lifting us and bringing us through that season of pain and teaching me a tremendous lesson. When my heart was far from him, going through the brokenness, this verse says this, I waited patiently for the Lord He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit. That literally means in in the Bible, it literally means like a, a grave. He lifted me up out of the pit. Have you ever been there where you just feel like at your lowest point in your life? And then God shows up in the, your greatest time of need, and he lifts you up out of that. He talks about setting our feet upon a rock, and all I think about is when our kids were learning to walk, my little granddaughter, when she was learning to walk, they'd fall down, and we, you know, we'll grab them and pick them up and help, help establish their footsteps. It says one of the verses, one of the translations. We help them to be able to walk, and that's kind of what God did with me. He picked me up. He picked us up out of our grief. He established our footsteps, and I love this next part. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Man, that's why it was birthed in my heart. So a new song was birthed within my heart. So that when I begin to sing songs of worship or I begin to serve, I begin to help others, I cognitively made this decision, I, I want to worship you, God, because of what you've done for me. I've experienced you as this Father who cares for me intimately, that your word says in Hebrews that I can come boldly before your throne of grace, to receive help and mercy and grace in time of need, that's, that's incredible. And so I turned to him. I made that choice to turn to him. One of the cool things is in all of this years later was that God blessed us with two more amazing kids. Brittany was 14, and we were able to, uh, incredible story I'll have to share sometime with you personally, but uh, to be able to adopt Calvin and Brooke. We were there in the delivery room for both of them, and Lord did all the feedings through the night. It was just a powerful moment. And they're 16 and 17, and they're real gifts from God. It's amazing how through the pain God can bring just tremendous gifts to us, and and he did that for us. But one of the most incredible um, responses and stories about worship that I see in the Bible is in the book of Job. And I know that um, you may be familiar with Job. If you're not, uh, in the book of Job we find out that Job was one of the greatest men ever. He he was wealthy. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He had 10 children, thousands of livestock, a huge number of servants. And as I said, he was considered to be the greatest man in the area. But most importantly, he was faithful to God and he honored God in all of his possessions and all that he did in every way. But what happened was God allowed Satan to test Job. He said, "Test, test my man, Job. Because, see, Satan thought that because God had so richly blessed him with all these material possessions and these these, uh, physical possessions of of a family and of, of a large number of children, that if those things were all removed from him, that he would curse God. He would curse God when that thing happened. But what we find out in that first chapter is that all of those things were removed. He lost all of his livestock. They were stolen or killed. All of his farm hands that he had, his field workers were were killed and destroyed. His camels, the camel drivers, the camels were stolen. They were killed. And then to top it all off, just in these couple of verses, you find that he gets word that all of his children were killed by a wind, by a tornado. Can you imagine what it was like? Everything he had in his life had been taken away immediately from him. There he was. And what we find is this response that Job has in the midst of all of this pain, suffering, and loss is this. Let me read these. This is from the Message Translation, Job 1, 20 through 22. Job got to his feet. He ripped his robe and shaved his head, which is kind of an act of of grief. And then he fell to the ground and he worshiped and said, naked... I came from my mother's womb. Naked, I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes, God's name be ever blessed. And not once through all of this did Job sin, not once did he blame God. That's incredible. I, I don't know that I I mean I, I, I don't know that I could do that. But he did. He made that choice, knowing that God of the universe, the God who had blessed him, the God who had given him those children, who had blessed him with great crops and fields and wealth and blessing. The treasures of his life were given to God, and all he could do was fall into worship. So our, my question is, is, what if you were Job? Maybe you've been in those kind of situations. What if you lost your home and your job and your kids and your, your relationship with those you love and your, maybe your spouse? Who would you turn to? The good thing to know is, as we know, is Jesus is there that we can turn to him. He is the great father. He knows the numbers of hair on our head. Not too big a deal for me, but uh, he knows the number. He, He loves us intimately. He knows us intimately. And I love Lee Strobel, what he shared last weekend. It was so powerful. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you've never received. The gift of salvation that comes from him to become a child of God. You believe, but you receive. You know, I talked about being a pastor's son. I knew all about the things of the church. I was always there. So I did believe. I believed that there was a God. I believed that Jesus was born and that he died and rose, but I had never received that free gift of salvation in my life. I had to make that choice. God, I want to receive your son Jesus. I want to repent of my sin. I want to accept him in my life. Remember the equation that, that, that Lee shared with us. Believe plus receive equals become. What is your response to this? As you look at your life today, we look at our lives today, who or what are we worshiping? Is our life aligned? Is our body, mind, and soul aligned to worshiping him? I just want you to you know, consider that. That if you haven't taken that opportunity of receiving that amazing gift of salvation, that you would come talk to one of us, to Claire I, or to Rich. We'd love to talk to you about that. Help you take that next step in your faith and your journey. But I hope you can see that kind of through my life, God kind of fashioned and formed me in a special way, and he wanted me to use my treasure, my talent, my time, everything I can to bring worship to him. It became my calling as a pastor to help people experience God and to learn to worship him with mind, body, and soul, and to love him with all that we have. And I just pray that today that you can help make that kind of decision in your life. We'd love to help you do that. So that when you sing songs of praise to us this morning, or you're serving, or you're helping people, as you share with your generosity to advance these ministries, those, those are all incredible acts of worship. Let's, let's pray together. I'm going to ask Ian to come, and we're going to kind of close um, with a great song this morning. We're going to stand and sing, and Ian's going to come out and play. So let's bow our head together and pray. Father, um, we love you and we thank you for the incredible gift of salvation. And that, God, you are here to meet us in our greatest need. And that you are here this morning. And, God, may we sing to you with a new song as we align our heart, our mind, our body, and soul to you. Into your will. So we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory this morning for what you're doing and what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.